Welcome to Apparently Speaking, the podcast from Northeast Ohio Parent with your host, Miriam Connor. Hi, this is Miriam and welcome to Apparently Speaking, your podcast for all things parenting. There are many different ways to be a parent and one of those ways is to become a foster parent. Being a foster parent comes with its own set of joys and pain, and I think it takes a very special person to be a foster parent, a good foster parent. This episode is sponsored by Montrose Mazda Kent. They go around the world for you. Before you look, call or stop in and talk to Jeremy. Find out more at MazdaKent.com. On this episode, I'll be talking with Amanda Bowles. Amanda has been married for almost 15 years and is a mother of six and has been a foster mom for 13 years. Welcome, Amanda. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming, for joining me. I'm so glad to have you here. And, you know, like I said, I, I feel like being a foster parent, it, it takes a very special person to do it well. And you've been doing it for 13 years. So I think you're probably an expert. <laughs> yeah, I would say 13 years. Yes. Expert, yeah. no, but. Well, <laughs> we'll see. But you, you obviously, you know, you could you can tell us a lot about it. And so, first of all, just kind of like what what made you start? Why did you start? So my husband and I had always wanted to adopt. That was like our original goal. Um, and that was even while we were dating, even when we first got married, we decided to do adoption before biological babies. Um, and so foster care was just kind of the route we chose to do that. Uh, so that's kind of where it started and how we got involved. All right. So you're like, let's just start this. And you, you had a heart for that, which is great. Um, and how, how many kids did you start out with? So we, we were so young. We literally lived in a one-bedroom apartment when we started. And so we just had one baby at a time for about two years. And then we like, as we grew, we grew into a bigger home. And so we went one kiddo, two kiddos. I think we would jump from like two to four there for a while. Um, it was funny because my daughter, who is 17, we were just chatting this morning for a few minutes. And I told her, she said, what's your podcast about today? I told her I was recording a podcast today. And I told her and she said, well, if you're a foster, though, do you, are you, do you know that you're going to get to adopt those kids? And I said, well, no, not necessarily. And I said, you know, a lot of times you don't. It just depends on the situation. Sometimes you do. And she just said, oh, I, I could adopt, but I don't think I could do that. I think that would just be way too hard, you know, which is obviously, I'm sure, something you've had to deal yeah. with. So I think that's a good way to kind of explain how we went from adoption to foster care. Like my husband and I, like I said, we only wanted to adopt. Our reasoning was completely wrong, um, but nobody stopped us. Nobody really said, whoa, 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 whoa. Like you're missing the heart of foster care. You're missing reunification. You're missing helping kids get back to where they belong. Um, and it was losing a baby that we thought we'd adopt and simply losing him because we were selfish. Like he was the eighth baby to this mama, but she gave up all seven, but simply because she knew our sole purpose was to adopt. She's like, well, I'm going to fight for this kid. Like I, their intentions seem terrible. And in all honesty, she was right. And it was losing him after two and a half years that we realized, holy cow, we are doing this completely wrong. We were being selfish and terrible. And, and so we like really had to come to Jesus talk like, okay, if we're going to continue to do this, we're not going to do it this way anymore. And it was in that moment where we realized like, 
the heart of foster care is reunification. The heart of foster care is like loving these parents because so often they don't have anyone that truly loves them and is like their cheerleaders and they want to like really wrap themselves around like they don't have anyone wrapping them their arms around and saying we're gonna do this we're gonna get your kids home and so that was 11 years ago when we were like okay we're gonna do this a little differently and so that's when we changed our hearts um and it's not always been an easy like we're gonna love everyone we were (laughs) but we saw such an instant change in our own hearts and then a change in the kids hearts like this idea like, oh my gosh, both my mommies love me and they're working together to make sure I get home to my first mommy. And that was, I think, a really big eye opener for us. And that's why I said it takes a really special person because I, I can't imagine, like you said, so you had, you know, I think it was the first baby you said maybe for two and a half years and then, you know, he went back and but then you you had that shift. You and your husband had that whole mindset shift of what is the purpose for doing this? It's not so that we're going to keep do what we can to keep, keep, keep them. We're going to do what we can and to actually work with their, you know, their parent, their their first mommy, like you said, and love them too. And that that takes someone with a huge heart to do that and to be able to say, okay, you know, the goal is to, to place them back if, if that if that's the best thing for them. Right. Yeah, exactly. That it takes a big heart, but it also takes like, once you see it happen, you're like, this is the most amazing thing in the world. Now, do you, um, let, let me just, just out of my own curiosity, the first baby, like you mentioned, do you have any contact with that child or that parent anymore? No, no, we don't. Um, I know he's safe and I know he's doing good good because he was a nephrim. So like, a friend of a friend's child. So we like know he's safe and good. Good. Yeah. And because of you and, and like you said, but you can, you can feel great knowing that you were a huge part in that. Yeah. Even though he's back, you know, and then like you said, that's the goal of it really. If, if that's possible, you know, and sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Right. Sure. Well, his case was kind of what made me realize like we're doing this wrong. So after yeah. we had, I, I always joke, we've lost count, but somewhere around 33 kids. It may be closer to 50 because I've had kids for 12 hours. So it's like trying to keep track. But even like you said, if it's 12 hours, you've still touched a life. Exactly. And we've gotten to see so many reunifications, like only four stayed. So you think of all the other kids that got to either go home straight to their home or got to go to a relative. And so. Wow. So four, four of those kids you adopted. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So we adopted four through foster care. Um, three of them were actually already in the adoption unit. Only one was our foster son turned, but turned son. Okay. The rest were already adoptive placements. Wow. And then the other two, because you have six. Yeah. So the other two, so my oldest came to us, unfortunately through a failed adoption. She, okay was from another country, brought back to America, and the family was like, nope, can't do this. Um, um, we were young and naive, didn't really understand anything, and we're like, sure, we'll help you, and she still lives with us, and it's amazing. And so we were guardians of her for eight years and just got to adopt her two years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then in the midst of our foster son turned son, we actually lost him for about two months. 
And we decided in that time, let's get pregnant. Like, let's just do it. Um, and got pregnant. More, right? Why not? What's another yeah. one? <laughs> and so most families have surprise pregnancies. We have yeah. surprise adoptions because then <laughs> Merritt came home. So in one year, we oh, had home. a baby and an adoption. Whoa. Now, when was that? That was recently, right? That was, yeah. So he came back three years ago this week and his adoption was 18 months later. So okay. it was yeah, last November. That's great. That's great. And so that's okay. And so are you still fostering right now? So as of 13 days ago, we are no longer fostering. We, um, okay. We've outgrown our house. I don't think this will be a permanent decision, but uh, we really couldn't put anyone anywhere else. We have a four bedroom house with six kids. So we're right. You're full. Yeah. And we live by the beach. So there's not many bigger houses. So we're kind of stuck right now, but because we have two teenagers, we're like, let's get them through high school and then we'll reassess in about five years. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. You, you do it. You have a house full. You have a house full. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. What have been some of maybe the greatest joys of being foster parent? I know you said one was maybe you'll say is watching them be reunited, you know, and, and yeah. having that come, come to full circle. What else? One of my biggest joys is that one of my former foster kids still gets to come over every single day. My husband takes him to school every day. Um, and it's my kid's brother, like because of COVID, we don't get to see him. And he walked through my door on Saturday and my six-year-old leaped into his arms. Like he had been waiting months and he had been just to see him because that's his big brother. And it's like that, that is why I do what I do. Like it's one of my biggest joys too, is getting to show my kids, like there's more to life than the Nintendo switch and the new style of vans like my kids get to live this super cool life where they get to be on the front lines of like hardcore work like life-changing work not just like making money and so that's really important to my husband and I to get to raise our kids in this too like they get to grow up knowing so much more about adoption and foster care and loving people and how to love people in their deepest darkest times that that is beautiful. I mean, everything you said. I'm I'm like now. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I, I wanna. I mean, you need to be this big advocate for foster. You know what I mean? Because it makes people. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to do it. You know, because but it was truly beautiful. And like you said, just to show your kids, not everybody gets to live like you, and not everybody has. You know, like like that's what I would want my kids to see. And not everybody has the privileges that you do. And so, which is okay. You don't need to feel guilty, but to look outside of yourself for sure. To yeah. Give, yeah. To give that love and your time and just your love and everything to, to somebody else, to other people who need it. And maybe it is inconvenient for you sometimes, you know, for lack of better word, but it's the right thing to do. Right. And I always say not everyone's called to foster, but I Correct. truly believe every single person is called to support the foster care system. And Mm. so whatever that looks like, are you going to choose to do respite for a foster family? Are you going to be the person that brings meals every court date? Like court dates are horrible for every single person. It's just every person has some calling. And so it's finding out how you can help the foster care system, even if you're not called to be the foster parent. 
I am so glad you you mentioned all that because that is not something I thought of. That's not something, you know, I write down a few little talking points and some things I want to ask. And that is not something that I thought of. And I love that you said that because, right, not everyone is called to be foster a parent and that's okay. And you don't need to feel guilty or you're not a bad person. You know, it's just not right, everyone is right. called like you said, there are so many things. And that got me thinking like, man, yeah, there are things that we could do even as a family. Like you just mentioned, I wrote those down. I wrote down court date, meals, respite. So like you can contact, you know, your, your county, right? Probably the, the mm-hmm. foster agency or, and you can, you can find out ways that you can help. Um, if you know foster families, you can help them, like you said, just a meal or something. Um, and there are ways that you can help without having to do foster if that's not what you're called to. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that because like you said, everyone is called to, to help. Yeah, exactly. And it's just finding what you can do. Like I know in our County, we have a bunch of nonprofits that make it easy. Like you can donate straight to them. You can donate, use clothes. You can, someone donated a car the other day. Like it's just whatever you feel called, like do it. There's a, there's an avenue somehow. I really like that. And that's something you can get your whole family involved with your kids too. And, you know, explain to them what it is and and why you're helping and what you're doing. And, and I I really like that. It can be a whole, you know, family kind of thing that you, that you do together. Um, What are, what do you think some of the, the hardest things you would say about being a foster parent would have been? Yeah. So I feel like most foster parents say it's when the kids go home, but for me, the absolute most gut-wrenching part is when one of my former kids comes back in the system and they don't have an open bed. Oh, yeah. That is, like, to this day, that almost haunts me. And I always work with our county to try to find them a home that they may have, like, one of my friends that they would have already known. But it's only happened three times, but all three times it's gut-wrenching. Like, because you're a mom, you have this heart to, like, that's my child. I got to get them home. But legally, you have no grounds to do so because you have no room. Wow, that would be that would be very hard and probably very hard and confusing for the child as well. Why can't I go to, you know, exactly back with you and they can't understand. Does the county tell you like that this child that you had is back in the system now? Do they would they contact you first to see if you have a bed or Um, interest? Most of the time, yes. I would say okay. 90% of the time. Um, the little boy that came in my house on Saturday, his story was they didn't call me, but his birth family did because I had such a good relationship with wow. them. They're like, why don't you have him? Where is he? And I'm like, oh, we will find him. And so by the end of that night, I had called the director of foster care and I said, I don't know why he's not in my home, but you do whatever <laughs> he... And so by the next day, he was at home with us. Um but most of the time, they do call the former foster family, especially if there was a good relationship. Okay, but it just depends if you, I mean, you have to have a bed. I mean, you have to have a, a space for them. Yeah, you have to have so space. I remember one time, we, one of our girls came back and we had no room. And my husband was like, well, what if I convert the garage into a bedroom tonight? I'm like, only you, only you would decide to go <laughs> Attempt to convert a garage. It's like midnight at this point. We're getting a call. That's awesome. That's wonderful. And also, what a testament to you that that birth family contacted you. Right. Yeah. I feel like we would have lost them had they not called us. Right. But that, that, that is, like I said, such a testament to you and 
the reason and the power for having trying to have a relationship with them. Exactly. There's so many positives and that's definitely one, like, because if anything ever happens to that child, your hope is that they will do exactly what they did. They will call you and make sure that that child gets to you because they know you're safe and that's where they're loved. Right. That That's great. That's great. You, like I said, again, over and over, I keep saying, take a special person, you, your husband out there trying to work on a garage at midnight, you know, <laughs> just to get it back. And, and that's, that's, that's amazing. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and then we'll come back and talk to you a little bit more about um, fostering. Awesome. Hey, this is Miriam from Apparently Speaking. Join the Mazda family like I did at Montrose Mazda Kent. You'll love the selection of new and used cars and lease options. We are on our third car from Kent Mazda. We keep going back because of the ease of purchase, and it has been by far the best deal we could find each time. Montrose Mazda Kent, they go around the world for you. Before you look, call or stop in and talk to Jeremy. Find out more at MazdaKent.com. All right, we are back talking with Amanda Bowles, super super mom, super foster mom, super everything mom, it sounds like. So I appreciate you coming on. And we've been talking, kind of shared your story, your journey, how you got started in the foster program. You've been doing it for 13 years. All the kids have come through. It's countless, really. Like you said, you kind of lost count uh, because there have been so many. But it, it's amazing what you and your husband have done and all the lives that you've touched. And, and so I think, I think it's great. So we talked a little bit about, you know, the best joys, the, the hardest things. I would imagine that also uh, for the, the other kids in your house, you know, when, when one leaves, even though you would put that as a, probably a joy and joy slash hardest, you know, because it's joy. You said that's the goal, but it would yeah. be of course very hard to have them go. And then I think that probably would be hard for the other kids too. Right. Oh yeah. So it, it depends. Each kid grieves differently. Um, but when it's a kid closest to their age or the kid that they bonded the most, it's definitely the hardest. Um, but one thing I, I remember vividly losing this little girl. I loved her. Um, and just her reunification, although it was good, she was going to a good relative, was very hard and she was very attached to me. So my last memory of her was just her screaming mama. And so like, that's all I had. And it took me just, it just put me in a funk. And I remember my daughter who was, I think she was 13 at the time came in. She goes, mom, I don't think we should do this anymore. I can't handle watching you sad. And and then I looked at her, I said, listen, if my temporary sadness when that child was loved, I'm going to do it over and over and over. Aww. And I hate that it makes you sad, but you need to know it's only because I loved her. Um, but then, so that was, she left in December. Um, this whole thing happened over Christmas break where my daughter told me that. But then two months later, I ended up at the courthouse for something completely unrelated and there she was in her grandma's arms. And oh. her grandma came over and she just started crying. I'm like, what? What? She's like, you're our angel. You, you protected our girl and just put the baby in my hands. And so my last memory now is me holding her and getting to kiss her head, just erasing how horrible that former like nightmare was. Not even a nightmare, but that first right. time I was. Oh man, that's amazing. And then you could see, you know, it's just to see her with her grandma there too, you know, yeah. Oh, that's so good. And I'm right. sure that helped your 
daughter that, you know, you, you yeah. tell her that story. Exactly. I got to go home and say, guess what? Like, look who I got to see. And then I showed her the picture. And so she was happy oh. to see her safe. And that's, yeah. that's a great, that's a great story. That's such a great story. What, um, so I know you're, you're, I don't want to say taking a break. You're just, you're out of space really right now. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got, yeah, it was six kids, you know, all that. So later you said it's not, it's not necessarily forever. Um, it's later if you, if circumstances change, then you uh, may or may not, you know, go, go jump back into it. Um, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know how far, long you can stay away. <laughs> Well, that's what I just found out through um, a friend who's a social worker, I guess. So I feel like everyone sh- should have seen this coming, but nobody wanted to. Like, we are very, very active in our actual county. And she said every social worker was upset. She's like, I kept going around saying, it's okay. It's okay. This isn't oh. the end of them. It's okay. <laughs> oh, it was a big, yeah, it's a big uproar. That's so cute. All the counties, they're like, no, no. Uh, well, that's great. And again, another testament to you guys, you know, how amazing you are. You're so what would be some advice you might give if people are maybe considering it or maybe a couple kinds of advice if you're considering it, maybe if you're in the mix of it or just starting foster care, what would you say to parents? So if you're Thinking about it, starting it, I would definitely first do your research because there's different avenues. There's you go straight through your county or state, which is what we did. You can go through a private agency, which tons of my friends do. And so you need to find out which works better for you, what supports your family more, because each gives you different support. And then once you're in it, I tell every one of my foster parents this, you need to find people in the same stream of life as you say mm-hmm. people who are in the thick of it because if you go to a normal mom's group and you're like guess what my kid did today you're gonna get looked at like you're a crazy <laughs> lady <laughs> and so it's finding other foster moms who are in the thick of it too who can say i i had the same day my kid also threw the cereal at my husband and called him a cuss word like right <laughs> and right. so and then um. Find supports. Like you have to have supports. I feel incredibly blessed that my best friend is a foster parent as well. And her mom has been both of our respite workers from the beginning. From when I started, she started five years after us. And so Arlita is my biggest backbone. She's at my house within minutes of me calling her, whether it's an emergency or like just my kids miss you. She's here whenever she needs to be. And so I think finding that support and find if you don't like our families all live far away. So we had to find family that were willing to accept our very different lifestyle and jump in with like loving arms and never turn their back. So that's the, I think the biggest key is find your support system before you start. And then once you're in it, cling to that support. That's great advice. And I'm sure that I like that, you know, do your research, find out what the best avenue is, get that support system first, not while you're, you know, in the thick of things, trying to get get that in place first. And and from people, hopefully that will understand, you know, are are in it with you or have done it or something like that so that they they understand and can relate. And I'm sure that, you know, it made me think of this, uh, you know, when you said, you know, through the cereal bowl, call them a cuss word, like, you have to be somewhat probably thick skinned a little bit. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right? Thick skin and very patient. patient. Uh, not taking it personally. You know. No. Yeah. You can't take you cannot take anything personally. Which is hard as a mom. Like yeah. 
there are times even my teenager like will spit stuff out at me and I'm like, uh, uh what? Right. <laughs> but, and you're like, I'm doing all of this for you. You know, you can right. make, you can think of that too. And then it's like, oh, then this is how I'm repaid. But you know, it's because, you know, there's so many, you, you just have to be that unconditional love. I would imagine patient. Yeah. Extend, Another thing is to really read every book, listen to every podcast on attachment and trauma, because when we started foster care, it was all rules, 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 rules. And there wasn't a lot on attachment and trauma and uh, kids got moved a lot more. And now that there's so much research on those, um, like the connected child book, that's the best book I think any foster parent could read. It just kind of talks about how to connect what the best at, like how, how trauma affects their brainwaves, how attachment heals those brainwaves. So really focusing on those. Cause yeah, otherwise that cereal being thrown at you will be your last one. Yeah. yeah, that's it. I'm really glad you mentioned all that, all the research and all the resources available now. And I'm glad that there are, because like you said in the past, you know, they didn't have that and they didn't understand. So I'm really glad that that's available and that you mentioned, take advantage of it, read, listen, you know, um, and see, you know, so that you can understand why these children may be acting certain way um, that they are. And I, that's very, very important. That probably was very helpful to you, like you said. So that was yeah. a good, good piece of advice. Um, I want to thank you so much. This was great. I think that you're amazing. So and great. I hope that this is helpful. I know it's going to be, you know, people that maybe are considering it just to see even get more information out, you know, if people just aren't even as aware of what it involves. Also, if you are considering, you're not, you know, maybe like you said, you're not called to be, but there are other ways you can help and support those foster families. And I'm glad you mentioned that. So find out how you can help even if you're not called to be. So I want to thank you so much for being here, Amanda, and for everything that you've done and I know will continue to do in the future. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. having me. Now, how can we find you if listeners want to kind of connect with you or have questions or just follow your, your journey a little bit? The best way to follow us or connect with us is through our Instagram. It's the bowls underscore family. Um, I'm pretty active on there. I try my hardest to answer all my DMs. Um, so ask away. Yep. We're pretty open and honest about our family story on there. So there's a lot of good stuff and resources on there as well. Perfect. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you for having me. This episode is sponsored by Montrose Mazda Kent. They go around the world for you. Before you look, call or stop in and talk to Jeremy. Find out more at MazdaKent.com. Thank you for listening to Apparently Speaking. Listen and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, and iHeartRadio. Find the podcast and much more at NortheastOhioParent.com. Like Apparently Speaking on Facebook and email me at podcast at NortheastOhioParent.com.